Welcome to Jen and Sam Make a Movie. This is our podcast about everything indie film related, everything representation related. And as always, your co-host, Jen Finelli and Samantha Moni. Aiken. Hi. Hi, everybody. Yeah, we're talking to you all about movies because we love movies and we're going to share some of our favorites with you. Jen really wanted to talk about Aquila and the Bee. I just saw this over Christmas um, something. I don't know if you call it Christmas break anymore if you don't have a break, but over Christmas and I was really overwhelmed with it and really liked it, partly because of a very selfish thing in that I used to be in those same scripts, National Spelling Bees, when I was little. So I really identified with her having to like work so hard for it. And I wanted That's to talk really about it and ask Sam's seen it too. And I wanted to, we were nerd. <laughs> we, it was, there's some of these kids, like they really do spend their whole time, like studying the dictionary, like she does and learning all the flashcards and all the different mnemonics actually. And the things that she has to do are actually very realistic for some of these kids who get up to the top. And were you one of those top kids? No, I went to, um, I was the top in my, homeschooling area so then i beat my regional like city area and i got to go to did i get to go to i got to go to richmond so that was cool but then i lost very quickly because i couldn't remember how to spell whatever it was uh but it was really fun and i enjoyed it and i learned a lot of long words and i also had a terrible time sitting in the back of my mom's car just reading this booklet they give you a booklet they didn't show that in the Aquila movie, but they give you this little booklet you have to study of all the winning words. And they are really long and words you would never use. Like, there's a kind of game that people play with nets where they throw balls using the net in India or something. Um, and we had to learn know how to spell that. Anyway, it was, anyway, we were talking about, I wanted to ask Sam and talk to you guys a little bit about Aquila today because there were some criticisms about its representation and I thought that was very interesting. So, um, Sam, you were saying something earlier about, um, how it's hard to please everybody. You can't please everyone. Someone's going to be upset about some aspect of your movie. If you're making a good movie, I think I said this. Um, on a previous podcast, you can make a movie that everyone sort of likes. It doesn't rub anyone the wrong way. Or you can make a movie that really affects people. And, you know, if you really want to, if you want to change the world, if you want to change someone's life, you shouldn't be looking for safe representations. You should be looking for realistic representations or at least powerful ones. And I think also, I think the flip side of that too, though, because some people will make the excuse when they make a representation that they feel is realistic that that's just how things are. And I think there's also a reason to make representation about how you want things to be. Uh, for example, there are people who say, oh, well, most crime is committed in the black community. That's why I should have all my thugs be black. They think that's realistic. And that's not that's not realistic because the point is that you need to have complete characters and so I think there's a balance between like what what you think reality is and what reality actually is. And I think as filmmakers we have to have to learn what does that make sense? Like learning Absolutely, which is why you need you need diverse voices, diverse perspectives 
on your crew, not just, you know, who are you putting in front of the camera? You know, representative voices make representative films. Um, of course, yeah. Uh, I don't know if you know about the Matt Damon Project Greenlight controversy where he essentially got into the argument saying that, you know, diversity happens in front of the camera, not behind it. That was exactly and, what I was thinking about, except yeah. I thought it was Mark Wahlberg. But you're right. It's, no, Mark, it's Matt Damon. <laughs> Matt Damon. <laughs> yeah, I think Mar- Mark Wahlberg was the guy who beat up some Vietnamese family, isn't he? He's been in some trouble. He's had a troubled past. Yeah, I don't know. And anyway, those guys. Yeah, and it's like, that's ridiculous. Because, <laughs> yeah, you said it already. I don't have to repeat it. But yeah, so having diverse perspectives to kind of tell you how things how things are, or even how things should be. The guy who made Aquila and the Spelling Bee said that he went to a bee and he noticed that there were not a lot of lower income kids represented. That's why he had Javier and Aquila as his main characters. And he had the story told in such a way that towards the climax of the film, everybody in Aquila's community kind of comes together to help her study for the bee. Even like these guys who are shown at the beginning as being kind of like bad guys, they're like trying to get recruit her brother into a gang. Even those people end up helping her out with the bee. And that's where the criticism from the film came from. They said that it showed um, it shouldn't have shown gangs because that was a stereotype of the black community. And they also said that they shouldn't have shown her using rhythm to memorize her words. Um, I was taught to memorize words using rhythm and language and songs actually have like all my Danish comes from the songs my mom used to teach me when I was little and I'm not (laughs) Akila, but for her it was because people felt that it was creating like a, a stereotype uh, I wanted to hear what you thought about that. I feel like you you really can't win with some people. Um, I think the idea that she shouldn't have been using rhythm is kind of ridiculous. As far as, you know, showing gangs, I understand uh, that sensitivity and really wanting our communities to be shown in the best way. I can't, as a filmmaker, I can't say either way which choice I would have made. Um, it's been a while since I've seen the movie, so I can't. Usually my test is, you know, what is this adding? What are you trying to say when you're when you're representing these groups as you are? Um, and does it does it add anything to the film as a whole? Oh, I think that's a really good test. And and I think that's actually why I mean, obviously from I I'm talking about the movie because I liked it, but for me I thought it worked because it put a different perspective on those guys at the end. Like, they were created as, even though they were minor characters, they were created as, like, full-fledged characters who actually tell her brother to go help her study. And I think a lot of people's kind of stereotypes of people who get involved in gang violence tends to be, oh, these are just evil people. Um, Not understanding that in certain communities, these are the guys who are holding the community together sometimes, depending on where you are. I don't have a lot of experience with this, but people who I know who've had experience with this you know, talk about and kind of explain that it's not, it's not as black and white as we like to make things be. And so those people in those gangs are often, you know, your cousins, you know, if not your, your brother, people you've known and grown up with, you know, their family. Um, It's kind of silly to assume that they're, you know, everyone in those gangs are, 
you know, bent on destruction. Exactly. And I think part of that is something we were talking about a little while before about kind of stereotypes with the war on drugs and things like that, that are very much um, geared towards in many ways hurting the black community rather than helping it. I think was something we talked about, not on this podcast, because it's very deep for <laughs> for film film type stuff. Um, so I liked that. I liked that these guys were able to understand that Aquila was something that was good for the community and everybody needed to rally together to help her. And I thought that that showed a real like brother sisterhood that was really beautiful. But some people felt that that was that was not appropriate. And I, I understand that, which is why I would love to hear you guys' perspectives if you've seen it, if you guys want to put it in the comments um, below or if you want to tweet us. Because I thought that was an interesting and legitimate criticism. Another criticism I wanted to uh, ask you guys about, and I don't know if Sam remembers, but I asked him about also, uh, was the portrayal of Asian Americans. Um, the kind of antagonist of the film is a hard-studying Asian American boy who has a very, very strict father. And that is definitely a stereotype of the Asian American community. The question is if it was, I think, like what Sam, what you were saying was like, does, does it add something to the community, to the movie? Is it, um, is it adding something to the conversation or is it just repeating tropes that have already been said? I don't know if, do you remember it? I remember that sort of, you know, humanizing the antagonist, right? Because we have your protagonist, she's going through this hero's journey. She's facing this, you know, insurmountable task that no one around her can relate to, right? And then she gets up against this guy and it's so easy to, you know, say, oh, he has everything handed to him. He's nothing like her. We should definitely be rooting for her. And then they they show this antagonist and he's got his own motivations and he's got his own conflicts. I think I understand the, uh, the idea of criticizing that for, you know, that his internal conflict is being a stereotypical one, but it's still a conflict. And without it, I feel the movie would have been much more flat. Um, I don't, I don't know. I don't really like to go through and, and, you know, say, oh, it would have been better if they would have just written it like this. You know, I don't know what a better conflict would have been. Can you, can you think of something? I thought that it worked well because when he, explains to her why he doesn't want her to just throw the bee to him. At one point, she overhears him getting lectured in the bathroom by his dad, and she feels so sad by it that she tries to throw the bee in his favor, misspelling a word that he knows she knows how to spell, because they did an awesome job of doing what's called um, uh, loading... Is it loading or cocking Chekhov's gun? Anyway, they load that, and they cock it, and it's all set up, But because earlier in the movie... You want to explain to the audience what loading Chekhov's gun is? It is when you set up a kind of surprise twist with a little detail that happens earlier on so that you know what's going on. It's not like you just made it up. So earlier in the movie, this is, is something almost, it's like porn, you know, when you see it. Um, so <laughs> earlier in the movie, she uh, can't spell, I think it's xylem. She spells, it, I think, with a Z instead of with an X, and he corrects her. That word comes up later in their final B, when it's just her and him against each other, and she misspells it on purpose, and he gets upset and talks to her about it. And he even humanizes, I felt that his explanation humanized his dad, because he talks about how his 
uber-achieving dad actually hasn't achieved things in his life, and that's why he's pushing things on his son. Uh, I can see how that's super offensive to a lot of people, <laughs> um, but I can see also how it can be a true narrative for somebody. So it really depends. It's almost like the Joy Luck Club. Joy Luck Club is known among the Asian American community uh, for being a really good explanation of what it's like to have parents who push you a certain way and while still being respectful. Obviously, um, Akila and the Spelling Bee is not nearly long enough to be a Joy Luck Club because that is a very long book. But I think it's almost up to each moviegoer to decide if that worked for them or not. Absolutely. And, and that's for every movie. I think it's ridiculous how we, in the Representation Matters community, sort of try to paint everything with the same broad brush. Everything's going to speak to everyone else in a different way. And just because something offends you or you don't like it, or even if you really loved it, you need to not assume that everyone else feels that way. And if you think that they should feel that way, it's absolutely wonderful for you to talk that out in any way you feel is appropriate. But this idea that, you know, you have to tell someone what to be offended by or that everyone should be offended by the same things uh, is, is a bit silly. And I think it, it, it needs to stop. That's not how you, that's not how you disseminate your opinions. That's not how you persuade people. Um, there, there are better ways. I think that's fair. I am a little more on the other side that I think that there are things that are just plain offensive sometimes, but on the other hand, then I guess they can, I guess everything maybe has its place. And just because something's offensive doesn't mean it doesn't need to be shown. Like, Sometimes we put offensive things in our movies to make a point to rattle you, right? You don't want to give the viewer a vanilla experience. I think that's very true. At the same time, I do get frustrated if... We we talked recently about um, Zoe Saldana. I really didn't like the Star Trek portrayal of her. I felt that to me, it was just a very clear, like, she doesn't have any agency stereotype. And I think that sometimes if we want to change film, we have to tell people, like, look, you got to stop doing this or we're not going to watch your movie anymore. I think there's some things that at some point cross the line. But I guess it's another one of those things, like, you know it when you see it. Okay, why didn't you like Zoe Saldana in Star Trek? In Talk Star to me Trek, about that, every, I like her there. Every, every plot thing that she did was undone. She, if you had taken her out of the movie, it would have made no difference. To me, that's uh, that's how I kind oh, of... Oh, she's definitely kind of... She's a smart, sexy lampshade. Definitely. Yeah. But I don't know. That's... Yeah. Well, to me, that's the judge of whether or not a character should even be in there. Or whether or not you're, you've actually created sure. a strong character. So she just kind of... And, and her entire internal conflict in the first one, in the one that I saw, which was the... I think Into Darkness. No, Wrath. It was Khan. It was when Khan is like yelling a lot. Benedict Cumberbatch, that guy. Um, every conflict that she had had to do with Spock. She didn't have any of her own motivations or anything. And then when she goes in to try to do her linguisty translatey thing, the captain ends up overriding her by like shooting early or something like that. So everything she d- she does in the in the movie is in some way overwritten by some dude. And I usually a white dude, and I, I didn't like that. <laughs> have you seen the most recent Star Trek? I have not. I gave up on them. <laughs> okay, is it good? I think <laughs> you gave up on the whole franchise. I don't. I don't know. I'm not a. I'm not a Trekkie, so 
I can't speak to like how good one film is over another, or whether, you know, how canon it is, but I I thought she had a little bit more room to grow in this more recent one. They, as far as, you know, everything she does being tied to Spock, they sort of make that a little bit more literal in that he's sort of making her, her a possession of his sort of poking fun of that. I, I don't, I don't want to spoil anything for anyone. Ooh. Uh, that sounds creepy. <laughs> it is creepy. I I don't know. Maybe I, I sort of thought they were sort of poking fun of, of you know at that that her main role in the movie is as lover of Spock. That's so frustrating though because in the she because she's based on she's supposed to be Uhura right in the right right yeah in the fir, in the actual original original Star Trek. So I don't know if I'm a Trekkie, but I have watched a fair amount of actual of the older Star Treks. She always had like her own job or her own role. I don't think she was even dating anybody. Now, part of that was because she was dating Spock in the original. I'm well, fairly certain of that. I wonder when that was though, because I remember it was a big scandal when she kissed Kirk, because it was the first time that two people of different colors kissing each other had been shown yeah. on TV. But for a lot of it, I know she's single, which I thought was cool. Single woman doing her cool things that she does. I like the other, I like the Star Trek Next Generation a lot, but that does not have Uhura in it. Um, anyway. <laughs> Uhura is definitely no Aquila. That's for sure. She de- In either of the two. She doesn't take her own work into her own hands. She doesn't learn that awesome quote that I love about why we should all be fabulous and do our very best rather than holding back. She doesn't mobilize an entire community, which I thought was really cool. So I like Akila better. <laughs> right. You know, I mean, it's all about, it's all about, you know, your focal length as a filmmaker, you know, or as a writer, you know, I think you could totally make a story about Uhura's adventures, you know, on the Enterprise. I think that would I think be you cool. You could totally do that and just have, have Spock and Kirk in the background. And I think it would be just as interesting a story. Do you think that, I mean, that almost sounds like one of those remakes, because everyone's all obsessed about remakes for the last five years. That almost seems like a remake that someone might actually do. I think it would make more money than the current ones do. I don't. You don't? <laughs> you have more faith in humanity than I do. Really? Zoe Saldana is, she's a supporting actress. She, I, you know, you don't think don't she respond do- well to her, you know, being the true star, you know? I She's know. always, you know, someone something. Her And she shines as that. Yeah. I really like her producer work. I saw her film that she did about autism. Um it was a short film, but it was beautiful. I was very impressed with her take on autism and autistic children as like feeling like aliens. Um and it's kind of a twist. I basically just ruined the end of the movie. but it was pretty cool so i like her because of that because i saw that because i have a brother who has who has very severe autism um i she's get she gets a special place for me but i think you're right i mean guardians of the galaxy she's a she's a she doesn't have any like strong yeah really she's a different color she's like blue or green and she's always someone something yeah Although, I mean... Guardians of the Galaxy is another great example because that movie could totally be just about her. She has, like, 
she could have her own great character arc. Uh, as far as everything happening happening with the Infinity Stones, that could totally be focused on her. Yeah. Especially since we know nothing about really Chris Pratt's background as of yet. I'm sure they'll get into that with the sequels and stuff like that. Yeah. And I'm really excited to to know about that. But, um, yeah, it's fascinating to me how much of an accessory she was in that movie. Although I did think she was better than in Star Trek, which is why that is still one of my. That's not why, but that was it's one a of better the role than in Star Trek by far. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I will, and she's single in the first Guardians of the Galaxy, which is important. And she rebuffs the guy because she doesn't need him. And she has her arc with her sister, which I liked. I like that there's that her most of her conflict is with another with, is with another woman. Um, they actually do pass the Bechdel test, which I don't think Star Trek. By far, I don't think Star Trek does. <laughs> no, no. All the the women in Star Trek are like never in the same room together. In that movie, yeah. In the see and see, that's what I like about like Next Generation. Um, that does happen. I don't know how many times, but I've definitely seen. I feel like I've seen that happen. Have I not seen that? I'm I'm sure I've seen that because there's that empath woman, and I think that she talks to the angry woman. By herself and the doctor woman um anyway <laughs> but so I, I did like her character better and we're all i just talk about zoe saldana a lot this wasn't supposed to be another zoe saldana she's gorgeous she's one of my favorites and i think she's very talented i think she's got great range and i would like to see her given more opportunity i mean i really would like to see her as a lead i really think that she could do a lead definitely so i i read an article the other day um, that made me very sad, <laughs> but it qualified that like the thing we love about Guardians of Galaxy is it makes us believe that a talking tree, uh, like an effed up raccoon, Andy from uh, Parks and Rec, and a brilliant actress who nobody ever gives a chance to show her brilliance could save the galaxy. That's how it, it like classified her as like always being, you know, kind of shuttled into a secondary role. And I think that's true. But and then when she gets in major role, she gets in trouble. So I, I feel kind of bad for her. Poor Zoe. Yep. We just send her this podcast. It's probably offensive. <laughs> but telling it like it is. Yep, that's right. That's right. Is there anything else you want to say about Akila and the Bee? I just would be really curious to see other people's reactions, um, especially in the Asian American community. So you know, but anybody. If people want to like comment below or things like that, because for me, I felt that it was very well rounded. I have like Asian parents, one, uh, and I definitely see the. How do I say this? I don't. I don't want to say that. My my parents are awesome, but there is definitely this emphasis on honor and on doing well that I think pervades at least a lot of Japanese culture for sure. Um, and I, it seems like it's also a thing in Chinese and Korean culture, but I know less about that because my family's Japanese. And I think that there's a good side and a dark side to it. I mean, the dark side is that in Japan, there's a 30, 30% suicide rate and that your company gets to own your life. And this is just a fact of like from family I have in Japan, your corporation gets to decide where you live um, and where your kids go to school and whether or not you get to be 
together. It's kind of like the army in the Europe. Right. Yeah. Um, and there's so like there's a dark side and a light side to that. And I think the light side is what I've experienced, but I can see somebody like I think his name is Dylan experiencing a dark side to it. I don't know if I 100% believed how well he took it, but I thought that was also very awesome because it's kind of the attitude that this is not a bad thing. This is making him strong because he says it doesn't it doesn't get to him. But I don't I'd really be curious to see other people's perspectives on it because I am sure that my perspective is not the only one nor is it necessarily nor is it a right one. Okay, Jen wants you to talk about Akila and the Bee on Twitter. Hit us up at affair underscore movie. Tell us if you hated the movie, if you love the movie, if you have no idea what we're talking about, <laughs> or comment. <laughs> if you're on our website, just comment right below the post, right below the transcript. And- or, you know, send us an email if you want to be anonymous. <laughs> movie at mysweetaffair.com. And you should definitely watch it because it is also super heartwarming. I wanted to punch everyone who said it was cliche because I did not think it was cliche. I've never seen a movie about a spelling bee. It's a kid's movie. I mean, let it be cliche. Come on now. <laughs> you don't want you don't want David Lynch. You don't want David Lynch uh, directing Akeel and the Bee. Let it be heartwarming. <laughs> I let it, it have let it have a traditional structure. It's it's okay. <laughs> I thought it was sweet. So. You can watch it, and if it makes you angry instead of giving feels, we can talk about that. Word. All right. Thanks, guys. See you next time. (laughs)